This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Kelly Henderson, and you are listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. This week, I am sick. <laughs> Um, I think I just have a really bad cold, but because it's 2020, yesterday I went to get coronavirus tested and I am still awaiting those results. Because of this, I have had to reschedule some interviews, but I am hoping to be back next week with all new episodes of the VE podcast. While I have been resting and isolating, I've also been doing a lot of reading and I am finding the words love addiction popping up into a lot of my books, my Instagram feed, and also some podcasts I listen to. I find this topic extremely fascinating as it has also opened my eyes to a lot of the types of anxious attachments that I've personally had in dating relationships and what that stemmed from from earlier in my life and even my childhood. Last year, I had an incredible conversation about this exact topic with relationship columnist and founder of the breakup boot camp, Amy Chan. If you find yourself in the same types of relationship dynamics over and over, or if you are going through a tough breakup or divorce, or even if you're in a relationship and you just are finding yourself unsatisfied, I highly recommend this listen and even reaching out to Amy to do further work. The work she is doing with people both in and out of relationships to take back their power and find their true happiness is truly astounding. Here's our conversation. So you're a relationship columnist and an editor at justmytype.ca. I was reading that The Observer called you a relationship expert whose work is like that of a scientific Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty big compliment. I love Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> She's great. I mean, yeah, I take really complex topics and themes around love, lust, and desire, and I break it down in a way that the common person can understand. So I inject it with the science and psychology. That's what I was reading about when you said you feel like you have a gift for taking the taking complex topics and theories and just breaking them down into content that a mass audience can understand. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, I mean, what kind of things, I mean, I, to be quite honest, spent the whole morning on your website. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> oh, thank I, you. I could still be doing it right now if I, um, if we hadn't had this scheduled because it's such a vast you know, there's so many different kinds of topics. And that, like you said, there's a lot of love. There's things on lust. There's things on getting to know yourself and self-esteem. How did you get into this? Yeah. So growing up, I was able to master many different parts of my life. So friend groups, uh, my grades, jobs. But the one area that I struggled with constantly was uh, relationships. And I found myself constantly disappointed and hurt in love. And after another painful breakup at the age of 25, I decided just to write about my own experience. And I just posted on my social media. I think it was MySpace at the time. And a bunch of people reached out and were like, you know, thank you for sharing. This really helped me. And I thought, okay, maybe I have something here. Maybe I'm a writer. So I actually pitched almost a hundred different publications with this blog and most of them ignored me. Some said, you're not a writer. 
And one said, sure, we'll, we'll publish a, a contributed guest post. And um, from that point on, I ended up being a regular columnist for them uh, for seven years. And it launched my career in writing. Uh, and so now for over a decade, I've been writing and researching the psychology of relationships. Do you feel like a relationship expert? I think uh, it's interesting. I have a lot of expertise and I think I will always be a student. And because of that mentality, uh, that continues to strengthen my expertise, if that makes sense. I think the moment you think you have it and you've mastered it, uh, anything, um, is the moment you actually start to get less skilled in what you're doing. And so I think I'm going to be a student in lo- of love and relationships and emotional uh, communication and intelligence for the rest of my life. So do you like when you're writing, do you write about your personal experiences? Like, are you writing about dating that you go, you know, dates that you go on? Or is this just things that you're observing in other women or people? It's a combination. So I used to use a lot of my own personal narratives, uh, just to kind of connect with the readers. And then I would bring in the science and psychology of what's going on. Um, now I talk more about bigger concepts and I'll use either examples of myself. Um, in my book, I use examples of people who've come through renew and who've had really significant changes through using some tried and tested methods that we've done. Um, so now it, it's a combination. So you mentioned renew, which is the breakup boot camp that you started in 2017. And I was reading that you left a six figure job, like a nine to five type job to start this. Yeah, yeah. So I was chief marketing officer of a national company. And um, it was it was an amazing job. And I had this idea to create uh, this company, which is now called Renew Breakup Bootcamp. And we take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing and rewiring the heart. And I had thought about this idea and sat on it for a long time. And it was inspired from my own breakup. I ha- was living in Vancouver seven years ago, and I was in a relationship with someone I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. And I had put so much of my identity in him and us that when that relationship fell apart, I completely fell apart. I spiraled into depression, panic attacks. Uh, I had thoughts of suicide, and I thought I was going crazy because it just seemed like nothing I was doing could make the pain and the suffering go away. And I did everything from therapists to going to energy healings to yoga retreats. And while they were helpful, um, I found that the minute I went back into my apartment, I was left with the same demons that were in my head. And so um, I came up with the idea to create a safe space for women a retreat into nature where everyone's sleeping under one roof. There is a chef cooking all of our meals so that we're getting all the nutrition you need because that was one thing that happened after my breakup. I completely stopped eating. Mm -hmm. And um, you leave a little bit different than how you came. And so at Breakup Boot Camp, I bring in 14 different experts ranging from psychologists to hypnotists to energy healers. We even bring in a dominatrix who has a PhD from Berkeley and teaches specifically on the psychology of power dynamics. And, um, you know, hour by hour from 8.30 morning till about midnight, the women are in programming to really shake up those old patterns that often are lodged deep in our subconscious so that we can create an opening for new seeds to actually implant. Um, And so, yeah, I left my job to take a risk to build this company. And it's been such a ride and it's been absolutely incredible. I was telling you before, but I had a friend randomly go last weekend. I did. I, I was already scheduled to speak to you, and she went to this boot camp. And I knew she was doing something, but I didn't know what it was called. And so, when she came back, she called me and was like, "Oh my gosh, you should really interview the founder of this place that I just went. She's amazing." And she told me her your name, and I was like, "What? I had I already have an interview scheduled with her, but." When she came back, I saw the difference, truly. I mean, I felt like she was lighter. I felt like she had just discovered parts of herself that, you know, they'd probably always been in there, but 
for mm. whatever reason, she wasn't able to tap into that. Yeah. Um, so what are the blocks that we all have that a, an experience like this can just open you up? Yeah, great question. So most of the women who come think they're cutting to renew breakup boot camp because of their ex. Yes. And they're trying to get over a relationship. Right. What every single one of them figure out at the end is like, oh, it's not just about the ex. And here's the thing. We we recreate the emotional experiences of how we were wounded as children. It's recycled pain. And so our relationships, when they fall apart, it's like a band-aid being ripped off. And then you have to deal with all of that compound trauma that has been building up since you were a young child. Now, a lot of these belief systems and patterns and wounds, they're very deep in our subconscious. They're developed by the, by, between the time of around zero to seven years old before your prefrontal cortex is developed. And um, you don't have the cognitive ability to process what's going on. And so we believe these certain things that are super unhelpful from I'm not enough and I need to earn love or validation. Uh, I'm not worthy of love. Or you might have grown up in a household where it was really chaotic. And so your model of what love feels like is one of chaos. Uh, for myself, I grew up with a pretty chaotic um, family. There was always screaming and yelling. That was the norm. And I had a father who was never around. And so at a very young age, I was always trying to prove myself, earn his love, earn his attention. And if I got good grades, sometimes I would get that. And that developed a belief system in me that I'm not enough. And so in my adult years, even though the people I dated looked very different, the emotional experience was exactly the same. I was always pining for their love, fighting for their attention, the last on the totem pole, trying to get up in my in prioritization. And I couldn't figure out. And so I kept blaming I'm like, oh, it's it's the guys in Vancouver. It sucks. No, it's the guys in New York. It was always something else's fault until I realized I was a common denominator. Mm. And I say this not because there was something wrong with me. And for anyone listening, it's not because there's something wrong with you or that you are broken and you need to be fixed. It's that we have belief systems that are often lodged deep in our subconscious mind and many times if we're not getting the outcomes that we want especially in love it's because those belief systems are dysfunctional and so that is the foundation of what programs us to feel the way we do and act the way we act and choose the people that we choose when it comes to relationships you know what I heard in that that I think is so interesting and this has been uh, very much my experience as well is when you said they all looked very different, but they were exactly the same actually about all the men you dated. And I've always dealt with that because every single boyfriend I've ever had has looked really different. And so people are like, you don't really have a type. Like, I think that's so interesting. <laughs> the older I've gotten and the more work I've done on myself, I'm like, Oh no, I have a type. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I very much have a type and they're all exactly alike. And the dynamic in our relationship is the same. Although mm-hmm. it just presents itself a little bit differently externally. Yeah. So yeah. fascinating to me. Why is that? So isn't there something um, I was reading on your site about just the subconscious patterns in love, which is what you sort of just described. But why is that? Are we just trying to heal our old relationships with these new relationships? Yeah. So um, there is something called attractions of deprivation um, coined by an author and researcher named Ken Page. And he describes this as um, adults, as adults, we try to recreate the original scene of the crime. And so that our subconscious mind thinks that if we recreate it, we can actually solve what we couldn't solve as a child. So for example, if I was only to give more and do more, maybe finally I will earn that love now, that love that I was never able to earn when I was a young child with my father. And so um, our mind works in loops. So if there's an open loop and you weren't able to figure that out as a child, you almost recreate that scenario over and over again, trying in an attempt to solve it now. And, and there's other things. So um, there's also something called attachment theory. 
which is um, super fascinating. By the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment system, a style on how we're going to relate romantically as adults. And there's three main different attachment styles. And um, the first one is secure. Researchers say this is about 50% of the population. And people who have a secure attachment style, they um, are not codependent. They are open to receiving and giving love. When there's an argument or a fight, they don't turn it into a catastrophe. They do not put their identity or their sense of self-worth on the validation of their partner. And um, they are very even keel in um, emotional distress. And so this is a product of parents who were able to be consistent with their caregiving, uh, attuned to their needs. And so the child actually grows up um, instead of the, the, the attachment system to their parents now transfers on to the attachment system they have with their primary partner. And they feel safe and they feel secure and they feel supported and they're able to go out into the world and explore and know that they have a safe base. Did you say now, 50% of our society? That's what the, yeah. Where it's, are it's these before, people? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met any. <laughs> Well, what might be fascinating to you, then you may fall into one of these other categories. So I'll explain the avoidant attachment style. Um, This is usually the product of parents who were uh, enmeshing their child, meaning they treated their child as if they had to have an adult responsibility. So it could have been the child acted as a therapist, the stand-in father, the stand-in mother, um, something other than being the child, they had to take on the role of an adult, uh, it, or a child who had very over-controlling parents. Um, this can also lead to someone growing up to have an avoidant attachment. And what happens with people who have an avoidant attachment is they actually subconsciously suppress their attachment system. So this means they might be able to get into relationships, but they always keep an emotional distance. And what happens is when someone gets too close, they will do what's called deactivating strategies, meaning they will do things that will actually squelch intimacy. So, for example, this might look like you go on a romantic weekend with someone and um, suddenly after you get back, the person pulls away and needs space and starts to be aloof and inconsistent. Um, because in their mind, they're like, oh my gosh, it's too much pressure, it's too close, and then they kind of freak out and they retreat. And so this is an example where they're squelching intimacy, but they don't know what's going on. So if you're not aware of attachment theory, you just think that this is normal. Another tendency for people who have an avoidant attachment style is they might be chasing a unicorn. Um, So, you know, things might go well in the first few weeks or the first few months, and then suddenly all the imperfections flood in and they're constantly looking for someone better because the unicorn just can't be found. Um, So those are examples of avoidance. And then the third, um, which is makes up most of the women who come to Renew who have an anxious attachment style. So this is used the product of inconsistent caregiving. Sometimes your needs were met, sometimes they weren't. And it's a very um, dysregulated nervous system. And so people who have an anxious attachment style, they have a fundamental fear of being abandoned or rejected at any time. And so if they ever sense that there's a threat to the connection, uh, their nervous system goes on like total alarm bells and they actually can't calm down until connection is reestablished. They might engage in what's called protest behavior, which looks like you send a text message and you don't hear back for four hours from your partner and um, you're like, oh, screw you. I'm going to just wait four days until I message you back. Or you um, might keep calling crazy, crazy, like over and over and over again. Um, you might even date someone and start being like, oh my gosh, I'm really feeling something for this person. I'm going to just go and uh, date this other person here on the side just to take the edge off. And so um, anxious are drawn to avoidance and avoidance are drawn to anxious. And the key thing that really differentiates them is avoidance have an inherent fear that their freedom and their independence is going to be taken away. Mm. And 
anxious have an inherent fear that they will be abandoned or rejected. Now, they're both drawn to each other because they both confirm each other's belief systems. So we, okay, wait, let me try to (laughs) unpack that a little bit. Um, So we're drawn to someone because they reaffirm our belief systems, but it's not necessary. It's like our fears, right? Yeah. So, I mean, beliefs can definitely be fears at the same time. So if I have an inherent belief that I am going to be abandoned, whether or not I'm aware of that belief, sometimes it's very deep in the subconscious, I will attract situations where that emotional experience is going to play out the way that I believe it's going to. (sighs) I will choose people in that way. I might find that people who are secure and consistent and who won't leave me, I might say, you're boring. Um, and I'm like, I don't have chemistry with those people, but you recreate that emotional experience that is rooted in the belief system that you believe in. Isn't it so interesting though, because those seem like they would be negative experiences, uh, from our childhood or even, you know, like in your adult life, they don't feel good. So why would we keep recreating them? Because it's in your subconscious. So on a logical level, you're like, oh yeah, that bad boy who has red flags all over, who cheated on his last three girlfriends, who I met at the bar while I was drunk. I I totally shouldn't like this guy. And then he texts and you're like, okay, just this one, this one, one drink I'll go. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Logically, we know we shouldn't, but our decisions, our actions are, are usually compelled by how we feel and how we feel um, isn't something that we can control with our logical mind. A lot of it is stemmed from our subconscious. 95% of how we feel and what we do is governed by our subconscious mind. So once you become aware, I mean, because when you're talking about this anxious and, avoid, anxious and avoidant, I mean, you're definitely describing a lot of my relationships. So, mm-hmm. and I've, as I said, I've become aware of that as I've gotten older. Um, but how do you change? I mean, I, the way that you're describing it as so subconscious, is it that you go to therapy, you have this new awareness, but like, how do you actually change that dynamic? Yeah. Great question. And about the studies show that between 20 to 25 percent of the population can, uh, does change their attachment style, and there's different ways. So, um, do you have a? Do you identify more with an anxious or an avoidant? Probably, I identify more with anxious. But I okay. did. I was going to ask you this too, I, because I read that um, you can kind of, if you're one, you're probably the other two. Sometimes, like you can kind of vacillate between the two. Is that true? So. So you have one that's predominant, and again, okay. this is pretty much wired in you by their age of around two years old, and the way they've tested this, and it's been repeated uh, over and over again, this test, it's called the strange, um, the strange Situation Test, where they actually test babies and see how they react when their mother leaves the room, um, and then they follow these babies until adulthood, and they, the attachment style pretty much stays exactly the same. And so what's tricky, though, is you can develop coping mechanisms that look like it's the other type of attachment style. Oh, so okay. for example, for me, I, I am formally um, had an anxious attachment style. I have what's called an earned secure through work. I've been able to become secure in my attachment style now. Um, but what used to happen in my early 20s, I would just call, 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 show up unexpectedly. Um, that's how I handled the, the anxiety. And uh, once I realized that that was crazy and maybe <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to do that. So I went the other way around and I would reject people before they had any chance to reject me. Huh. I would take any inclination that they might be disinterested and reject them. So on the outside, it looked like I was an avoidant, but I was an anxious masquerading as an avoidant. It, it still stemmed from a fear of being abandoned and rejected. And that's why it's important to look at what is a fundamental fear. Um, and the way that I'll share how um, I rewired my uh, attachment style. And there's, there, there definitely is a way to do it. And um, it takes time and it takes practice and it takes discipline. And so the very first step is awareness. Um, and then starting to look at what your tendencies are when you're triggered. 
And so I realized there's certain things that would trigger me, um, which would be the two main things is if the person I liked didn't initiate uh, making plans with me or if they were inconsistent in their communication. When this happened, the exact same thing would occur. I would go into a spiral, I would make up these stories, and then I would do something that would sabotage. And so once I started to actually map out what I was doing, and then I started to look at, okay, what are the actual facts? And so I realized that how so many times I was just creating so many stories and assumptions and projecting. If someone didn't call me back right away, I would automatically be like, oh my gosh, you don't like me. He's not into you. I look like a fool. I better do something and sabotage this. When they were busy at work, they were traveling. Um, and so I started to just look at my reactions and start changing how I would react. And this would be really difficult in the beginning because my natural tendency was you feel the uncomfortable emotion and you act on it right away. You send that text, you make that call, you do that thing. And so I think the very first thing after awareness is pause, hmm. the art of the pause and um, learning that the emotion will move through your body. It takes 90 seconds for emotion to move through your body. Anything more than that are the stories that you're attaching to that emotion. That's why that can turn that one little thing of panic or anxiety can turn into a spiral that can last days, if not weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, therapy will help. There's actually um, therapists that are trained in attachment therapy. Um, I did hypnosis, which worked really, really well for me. Um, hypnosis works on about 70% of the population. So I think you need to find what works for you. And also, um, attachment is on a spectrum. And so you could be, if you're highly, highly, um, you know, anxious on the spectrum, if you date someone who's highly avoidant, it's going to keep rewounding you. And so understanding that, yes, you might have crazy chemistry with that person, but it's likely going to end up like the last many times, which is complete pain and heartbreak, and that's not helping you heal. And so look for partners who are more secure, because when you're with someone who is more secure in their attachment, you will start to rebuild your trust. You will start to rewire those associations that, oh, someone who doesn't call you back in an hour, that doesn't mean that the connection is uh, is abandoned or you're going to get rejected. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code Velvet's Edge at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Oh my gosh, I'm processing. Okay, so if you, so I do identify more with the anxious, but I found this really interesting when you said, um, that you can kind of do the thing where like it, it triggers your abandonment and then mm-hmm. you decide because that person didn't give you what you need. Like you're going to punish them with, you know, not talking for four days or something. That is mm-hmm. my pattern is the very much like right. I shut down. I don't know if it right. makes me feel like I'm the one back in control or what it is, but I think that's where I thought maybe I went to avoid it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, you make a good point. It's like a, a false sense of control, yeah. a false sense of uh, feeling you have power over the situation when really you're stepping away from connection, uh, also sabotaging intimacy. Yes. Wow. So could you, I mean, let's say, so I'm obviously identifying as an anxious attachment person. So say I'm dating someone who realizes, oh, maybe they're a little avoidant. Can mm-hmm. you work through that together? Is that possible? Or is it just like if you realize that within your relationship, you just need to get away from each other? No, totally. You can totally work through it. And so the goal is for both people to become more secure. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you start to work on becoming more secure yourself, um, that will automatically help the bond and the connection between the avoidant and the anxious. But here's the kicker. Both people need to be equally invested in working through it. Mm-hmm. That means when you are triggered because um, your partner needs space and is distancing, you don't suddenly do something reactive and sabotage or punish or act passive aggressive. And that means your partner who has a more avoidant tendency, when they need space, they, instead of um, isolating, drawing, they have open and honest communication, even if it's uncomfortable and says, hey, right now I'm feeling a bit of pressure. Um, You know, it's not that I don't like you or really enjoy this connection, but I need some time. How do you feel about that? It's really practicing this art of open and honest communication, even if it's really uncomfortable. And if two people are game to try to work through this, because if they don't work through it together now, at some point you're going to have to. Otherwise, the same problems are just going to keep coming up over and over again. I like that you say, this is one of your favorite quotes on the website, but it says, chemistry does not guarantee compatibility. Definitely. I mean, but isn't that so interesting? Because in our society, I feel like, you know, the spark you feel when you meet someone or that that first eye contact when you feel the just that the butterflies in your stomach and the fireworks going off like that is so praised as, Oh, we just have such good chemistry, but that's not necessarily the key to a good relationship. Oh, totally. I mean, look, if they were to make a a two hour romantic comedy and it, you know, the storyline went, uh, two people met, they were introduced by friends. They had a dinner Uh, a week later. They had another dinner and uh, throughout the next few months, they went on various dates and <laughs> right. enjoyed each other's company. Boring. Um, do you think anyone's going to watch that? <laughs> no. It's so boring. But what if, you know, um, two people met, at, you know, at, at a party and um, their parents hated each other and they were mortal enemies and then they had to fight through, you know, the different politics and all these things and then suddenly they, like, met, like, the fireworks is what sells, right? Yeah, yeah. It's what sells the songs, the the books, like, you know, the movies. And we've been fed this storyline since we were little kids. And so, you know, what we are sold as this is love is really classic love addiction. Right. It's dysfunctional, codependent uh, lust, and it is not love. And so... I think what happens is two things. I think we are bombarded with messages from culture and media um, that love should be something that is full of intensity and excitement 
and ups and downs and fiery, rip your clothes off, can't live without you type of sex. If you have to look at the science behind this, the chemistry is really a concoction of dopamine, oxytocin, feel-good chemicals that are happening in your body when you meet someone and you're in lust. These last for about eight months to about two years on a scientific level. Um, and so it's there's a for sure expiry date. And can you be married for 20 years and keep sparking these chemicals? Yes, but it's not the same as the first eight to two years. You actually couldn't sustain it. It would actually be very, very unhealthy for you. And so um, there's that, which is like the idea of what love is, which is actually not real and leading you to with really false expectations. And the second thing is, as I mentioned earlier, if you didn't have a healthy model of love, what love looked like, you are going to be chasing the same thing because human beings like what is familiar. So if you're familiar with chaos, if you're familiar with being um, given attention one moment and then your, your parent punishing you by withdrawing love the other, that's your sense of familiarity. That's your homeostasis, and that's what you're going to be drawn to, a.k.a. have chemistry with as an adult. And so I call this your chemistry compass. And your chemistry compass might be broken if it keeps pointing you to people who are wounding you in the exact same way. Hmm. I was reading, uh, there was an article on your site about love addiction, and just saying that we do live in a love-addicted society, like that's just become the norm. It's a Dr. Larry Young. He's the director of translational social neuroscience notes that experiencing a loss from a partner such as separation or death is akin to an addict craving drugs. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens at breakup boot camp. They are, they're physically in withdrawal. If they were to wow. do an MRI scan on the brain after separation, they would see the same part of the brain is activated as a heroin user feeding for their fix. They're wow. physically in withdrawal. And so, yeah, it could be super addictive because what happens when you feel lust for someone, um, you have a ton of dopamine that's pulsing through your body. Dopamine is that feel-good pleasure chemical. It's what you get when you have chocolate, when you do cocaine, when um, the apple of, you, of your eye gives you affection and attention. Mm -hmm. And it's also what makes you feel like complete hell when they don't return your affection. Right. You're getting hits. I mean, mm -hmm. legitimately like a drug addict. It's, I mean, it's totally. so interesting to think about. So if that is what we are equating with love in our society and you know, you're saying this is not real love, this is love addiction. What is love? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think for anyone who's listening out here, um, if you don't have an idea of what healthy love feels like because you didn't have a healthy model of it um, or you haven't experienced it or a romantic relationship, this is what I suggest you do because it's going to, to feel very different. But the very first thing you could do is create awareness, even on a cerebral level, so that you can one day experience it on an embodied level. Write down what is, what is unhealthy relationships unhealthy relating look like i don't want to say unhealthy love because it's not love in the first place and unhealthy is up and down is chaotic is inconsistent is punishing is abusive all those things those red flags write that down write down so it's very clear what unhealthy looks like so that you could use that as your parameters the next time you lock eyes with someone across a bar and you're like oh my gosh red flags Look at that list and be like, oh, you know what? My chemistry, you know, is all up on you, but I know better because I'm going, I'm falling in the same track. Um, and so healthy love, if you don't have a, a model of what it is romantically, I'm sure you can find um, some examples of how healthy love feels like from friends or family because it's all the same thing. Romantic love uh, familial love, it's all part of the same thing. It's love. And that love is consistent. It's supportive. It's accepting. Uh, it's warm. It's kind. It's patient. Uh, it's inspiring. It's empowering. And if just start to marinate in what that has felt like for you in the past and keep building on those experiences. And, and that means 
if you're saying no to that person who you know is the all has all the warning signs of the red flags because you know that that's not healthy. That means open up your heart, open up your mind to give a chance to people who you might not feel this intense chemistry with in the beginning, but it might grow because you need to start getting familiar with what healthy looks like and feels like before you actually can jump in. You don't go from high, high, low, low, dysfunctional relating to suddenly super healthy. That's just not how it works. It works in changing one degree at a time, getting a little bit healthier partner by partner. So I read your, you talked about your dating experience. And as you mentioned earlier, you were picking men who kind of recreated your relationship with your father. And a lot of times that looked like, what was it, workaholics or just emotionally unavailable in some capacity. But you started dating differently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I just had a track record of going for guys who just, never prioritized me and I was always just trying to earn their attention and prove myself. I was always pining for someone. And um, there was a pivotal moment where I realized I had a problem. And I actually had um, a guy friend of mine who's this amazing person. And he was messaging me on, on Facebook. And he's like, hey, Amy, um, you know, I know we're friends, but it seems like we have like similar values. And I was wondering if you'd be open to seeing if there's a romantic connection here. And I had a physical reaction of disgust. And I was like, oh! And I remember my teammates at the office was like, oh my God, are you okay? What happened? And I just stopped and like, oh my gosh, like if I'm getting a visceral reaction like this over a nice guy who is, kind, loving, intentionally wants to date me, is respectfully asking me, and I'm reacting like this, there is something wrong here. And I realized that my chemistry compass was way broken. And so I did an experiment on myself, and I decided, I'm like, okay, I am going to be open to going on dates with people who intentionally want to go on a date with me, who seem healthy, kind, and have similar values. Um, and secure. And even if I don't feel the chemistry, I'm just going to explore. And so I went on a date with this guy. I went on multiple dates with him. um, And I continued. Um, I probably met seven different people going on multiple dates with them. um, And I did this for about eight months. And I hit a point of frustration because I was like, this experiment isn't working. Like chemistry isn't building. And I remember there was one of the guys who earlier on in the very beginning, um, I had said to him like, Hey, you know, I just want to be upfront with where I'm at. I don't feel chemistry right now. Um, but if you're open to like hanging out, like no pressure as like friends, like I'm down. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I want to get to know you as a human. Like, if, if that's on a friendship level, I'm totally cool with that. So I would hang out with this person every once in a while and just, you know, not, not ever feel pressure or anything like that, just as friends. And I remember it was like eight months after, and this is probably our like eighth time hanging out. We were having dinner. And I remember looking across the table at him and I was like, oh, like, you look handsome. And I just realized I was like, I was physically attracted to him. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And what happened was through time, I started to become more comfortable with him. And even though I didn't feel in the very beginning that I had a a chemistry, a romantic chemistry with him, I knew I enjoyed hanging out with him. And eventually that spark, whatever it was, turned into romantic chemistry. And chemistry grew because I started to see who he was for his character and for his soul. And that took time. And, you know, if those first seven guys I didn't, you know, do this with and slowly but surely get more familiar and more comfortable with what healthy felt like, what it felt like to date someone who intentionally wanted to date me, I would have never developed feelings with this guy. And that's what I mean. It's just one degree at a time. You need to get familiar with how it feels like so your brain doesn't just reject it. Right. It's that rewiring. I had my therapist told me, she was telling me about her experience. And she said that when she 
first started to heal and, and grow from this stuff that she could walk, started to be able to walk into a room and could tell the men she needed to get away from immediately because she would be mm-hmm. so drawn to them. And that's, Chloe? isn't that so yeah. interesting though? Because I think that if you told someone who isn't doing this work, they would be like, what? That's the person that you probably are, you know, super attracted to or have the chemistry with, but that's not always going to be healthy, which I think is so interesting. Yeah. If you don't have a history of healthy relationships, if you, you know, meet someone and it's like off the charts chemistry, mm-hmm. that's usually not a sign of a green light. It's a red light. Right. There's a reason for that polarity. And it's because that person, you can subco- like subconsciously, it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to like really hit those deep wounds of mine. God, it's so crazy. And that also, it's like, for me, I know, um, just being in the dating world now, it's it's kind of like, oh, like how you trust yourself once you know that might be your pattern. Because if you're drawn to somebody, does that mean it's like the bad, you know, the bad chemistry or the the repeating the patterns you've always done? I think that if you once you start doing the work and creating the awareness, it, it really just depends on where you're at. Right. If like as I mentioned, if you have never really looked at this stuff and have uh, a history of dating people who are terrible for you, then yes, your chemistry compass is probably way broken and you're not prioritizing compatibility enough. Um, You know, as you continue to get healthier yourself and more secure, you'll start to see a difference in who you are drawn to and who is drawn to you. That's probably the, the quickest way to take a look at how are you doing on an emotional health level. Um, and hopefully you get to a point where, you know, you've addressed some of those limiting belief systems that have been kicking around for decades and you're more secure and you're not basing your self-worth, identity and self-esteem on someone else. And you have a strong foundation. And when you're coming from that place, you can start trusting your gut and your intuition. Mm-hmm. I do believe that every relationship, or this has been my experience at least, every relationship I've been has been some lesson to get me to the next level of knowing myself greater or being a better version of myself in some capacity. Um, do you think, you know that statement, you know how people are always saying, you can't love someone fully until you love yourself. Um, I I agree with that, but I also lately have been want, you know, bouncing around the idea of relationships truly do show me sides of myself that I didn't even know were in there or, you know, old wounds that I haven't healed yet or old traumas. And I was reading somewhere on your website and it said, when you open up your heart or when you open up your heart for love, anything that hasn't been healed will come out of hiding. Mm, yeah. And I think that's so true because I can be going about my life not understanding or knowing that stuff is still in there or, you know, like I said, the old wounds thing that they're in there. But when I get in certain relationships, it gets triggered and it comes out and it forces me to kind of face another layer of things about myself or my past or even my uh, attachment styles. Totally. I mean, there. I think you hit a point in your evolution where to go the next step is really in relation with another person. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy when you're single and not really having to be vulnerable, not really having to create true intimacy, um, to just be like, Oh, everything's all great. It's, it's when you're with someone and choosing to like stick through it, that your stuff is going to come up. Yeah. Wow. I love that you say our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. Yeah, totally. Um, So I could obviously talk about this stuff forever with you, (laughs) but you guys should go check out this website, um, justmytype.ca, where Amy talks about all of these different topics. You have guest writers sometimes as well who are yeah. different experts in their fields. What else? I mean, we have the breakup boot camp we talked about. You have a book coming out, right? In the spring? I, I do. So I have a book called Breakup Boot Camp: The Science to Rewind Your Heart. Uh, it's being published by HarperCollins on May 5th. And it is really a lot of what we've just talked about. It's for that woman or man who can't actually come attend one of my physical retreats, but 
It is to help you look at your past relationships, to identify the subconscious patterns and blocks that's causing the same patterns and outcomes to repeat. And uh, block by block, we build a stronger, sturdier foundation so that you can actually create healthy love with yourself and then hopefully with another person. Um, so it's all on rewiring. It's the psychology and the psych- science of love, lust, and, and desire. Wow. And that comes out when? May 5th of 2020. May 5th of 2020. I will repost about that when it comes out to remind you guys um, that you can go out and get it. Um, also, I saw on the website, there are a couple different things you can sign up for. You know, is it like a monthly subscription or what were the two different options? Yeah, so um, you can sign up for, I actually have a Patreon. So you can go on to either justbytype.ca or renewbreakupbootcamp.com. And I actually have a, kind of a secret blog <laughs> that um, isn't on Just My Type. And this is like a combination of like just my deep, raw, unfiltered thoughts. I have my own personal dating diaries on there. Um, I have uh, Ask Amy, so you can ask me anything, and I can I will actually personally answer your love and dating um, questions. Um, and the other is it's a it's a thirty day um, breakup course. So after a breakup, it's a daily email uh, with an activity and some psychology of what's going on and something you can do to get yourself out of a funk. Oh, I have to go sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, where else can people find you on Instagram, social media? What are your handles? Yeah, I'm at Miss Amy Chan uh, across the board. So M-I-S-S-A-M-Y-C-H-A-N. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here and just this work that you're doing. I totally appreciate it. And I know a lot of my friends have just really started to dive in stuff like this. So I really think it's amazing that you're pioneering this for us. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you for being here. And thank you guys so much for listening. Bye. This is Kelly Henderson, and you've been listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. I truly believe that every one of us has a little velvet and a little edge. So it's so important to remember that to be strong, you must be soft too. Thank you so much for sharing in those stories with me. You can follow Velvet's Edge on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as velvetsedge.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me every Wednesday for more conversations on lifestyle, beauty, and relationships. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.